Welcome to the Brain Health Journey podcast with Brittany and Tish, where we talk about all things ADHD and other brain health related topics. On this podcast episode, it is an Instagram live recording where we have Dr. Perry Mandanis as a guest and answers questions regarding ADHD medications. The first five minutes seem to be cutting out here and there or some kind of noises or technical difficulties of some kind in the background, but the rest of the recording is just fine. So we do apologize for what the first five minutes sound like. We hope you enjoy the show and learn a lot from Dr. Perry. Thank you. Dr. Perry as I introduce him. So this is Dr. Perry. He has completed a pediatrics residency at the Medical University of South Carolina and adult psychiatry and residency at Brown University and a child and family fellowship at Brown as well. Dr. Perry has been in practice with both children and adults for more than 30 years. Passion work. So Dr. Perry, again, like this is incredible. This is, I mean, I just read this. I think anyone that just listened is like, oh, I mean, he has to have so much wisdom and insight and we're just going to go ahead. And okay. Before we get started, every now and again, you cut, are cutting out today, Brittany, which is a little unusual. Can you guys hear me? Can I see some? Yes. So I'm, I'm coming through clearly. That's terrific. Okay. So, you know, as I contemplated talking with you, you and your followers about ADHD and the medicines that can be used to treat ADHD, it occurred to me that we're talking about medicine. And the reason I bring that up is medicine kind of lands in the park of a medical model. And something has happened in ADHD world where we've departed a little bit from the medical model when we started using excellent terms like neurodivergence, which accurately communicates how someone's brain is different from everyone else's. But neurodivergence doesn't mean that most people have brown hair and yours is blonde. Neurodivergence actually is a special kind of condition that sets the stage for the potential for an illness. Not everybody has an illness if they have neurodivergent brain. They may have mild symptoms. But for people that have serious or impairing or debilitating symptoms, that's when we call it an illness, just like we would an illness of the liver or an illness of the heart. And when we use terms like mental health condition or mental health issues or whatever we do, and we kind of skirt away from that word of disorder or illness, it feels better. But in a weird sort of way, we keep the stigma going about mental illness we accidentally diminish the impact of medicines for a lot of people. And I just kind of wanted to put that out there right up front. And the other reason why I wanted to do that is this isn't just a condition of inconvenience where people are forgetful and people lose things and people can't do their homework. ADHD can be a very serious condition. In fact, it carries a high risk of suicide. And people never talk about that, at least I've not seen that on Instagram. You know, the reality is people with ADHD are five times more likely to attempt suicide than people who are not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Women in particular, um, 23% of women with serious ADHD report that at some point in their life they attempted suicide, as opposed to their neurotypical peers, it's only like two and a half percent. Why? because this is an illness of impulsivity when it's super serious. And when you have had problems in school and you've received thousands and thousands and thousands of negative comments from the time you were a young child and all that negativity gets internalized, Mm -hmm. in addition to your neurodivergent brain and the impulsivity, that's kind of like, gasoline on a fire for a lot of people. So it is a serious condition. And that is why I um, am happy to be here to talk about the medicines because the medicines help, uh, particularly when someone has a more moderate to serious 
issue. Hey, Brittany, thank you so much for handling the trolls. Aren't they awful? Yes, they are. <laughs> we, I'm going to say something really quick, Dr. Perry. I apologize sure. for cutting you yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, don't be. Okay, so I just want to make it very clear in this um, live that this is, a, this is a, a safe place for people to come and, and talk about their, um, their journey with having mm -hmm. ADHD or, or autism or whatever that they have. And so we will not tolerate anyone in this live um, that is going to make someone feel unsafe or make someone feel bad about themselves. So I just want to make that very clear today. Thanks, Tiff. <laughs> Thank You're you. Welcome. So let's get started. Um, I'm assuming your followers are very familiar with ADHD as a diagnosis. Maybe not. Maybe there's some newbies here. Basically, if we continue along the lines of the medical model, ADHD means that for whatever reason, maybe it's due to the reticular activating system of our brain, which is a very small region of the brain. Um, people have problems concentrating. Uh, problems with forgetfulness, problems with hyperactivity, trouble finishing tasks. Those are the primary uh, diagnostic criteria. But I strongly recommend any of you um, that question if you have it or don't have it, uh, go online, take a self-assessment. I've heard you and Tish, Brittany, you and Tish talk about that many times. But the most important part of that self-assessment is going to be for you to write down examples from your life. Talk about how you had to call AAA because you locked yourself out of your car. Talk about the number of tuition penalties you've had because you didn't send your tuition in on time. Talk about the number of times when you had penalties with your taxes. I mean, really, if you just start to list the things that um, how your life is affected, that's going to help your provider make a determination mm -hmm. as to not just whether you have the illness, but to what extent is your life affected by it. And that's where medicines start to come in, because not everybody needs medication. Um, and so that's what's really important for you to think about to what degree is my life affected by the symptoms that I have, right? Okay, so do you, any other questions about that aspect of this before we move forward with meds? Hmm. Well, I, I am very, um, I'm very thankful that you kind of bring up uh, because I have sometimes in my comment section, like ADHD isn't a disorder, quit calling it a disorder. It's a mental health condition. I actually mm -hmm. made that comment two days ago, I think. Yeah. And sometimes, like, sure how to, how to answer that. So like, I do appreciate you bringing that up. Well, I mean, I think it can be both. You know, I think that mild ADHD can be uh, an inconvenient uh, condition, if you will, just to use a general word. But if it impairs you, you know, how do you know if you have an illness, basically? How do you know if it's serious? I use three criterion, and I'm jumping ahead in my uh, presentation, but let's just go ahead and do it now. Number one, are your symptoms persistent, meaning do they happen all day, every day, from the time you get up in the morning till the time you go to bed at night, not just while you're at work, not just while you're singing in the choir at church, all day, every day, mm -hmm. number one. Number two, are they pervasive, meaning do they follow you everywhere you go? Do you have problems at airports and problems at your job and problems in school and problems at home and, you know, is it everywhere you go? Is it pervasive? And then the third criterion is, is it impairing? To what extent is your life diminished by the symptoms that you have? I'll have to say one thing I want to say quickly about ADHD. A lot of your life will be enhanced by ADHD. People with ADHD are amazingly creative. Uh, they're good scanners, as so they sometimes find solutions to things that other people hadn't noticed. So it's not all bad news. But when it's impairing, it's a, difficult, it's a difficult condition, and that is where the medicines make a difference. Okay. By and large, the most prescribed medications for ADHD include the stimulants. Stimulants is a, is a big umbrella family. They increase dopamine, and they increase norepinephrine. That is how they work. So norepinephrine and dopamine are 
excitatory neurotransmitters. They wake our brain up, make our brain alert. You know what else causes you to have a lot of dopamine? Procrastination. True. So one Very of the reasons, it's, it's almost a learned behavior with people that have ADHD, right? Yes. They procrastinate, they procrastinate, they procrastinate until they hit that, oh shit, <laughs> moment in time. <laughs> and the dopamine rushes in and then they can crank their workout, right? And that's sometimes that's a learned behavior. Well, you don't have to do that <laughs> you, if, if you're open to the idea of medicine and if it's worth it, meaning you have enough to do to make that worth it or you have enough impairment to make it worth it. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, stimulants will increase concentration and decrease fatigue. Um, and let's, let's talk about what the different stimulants are within that family. Uh, the first group is the amphetamines. Amphetamines include amphetamine, dextroamphetamine, Listix amphetamine, and then almost all of these medicines come in two flavors. They can come in immediate release medicine forms and then in extended release medication forms. And later when we're talking, I'll talk about why that's important and how we leverage those different types of medicine. And for some people, it's a combo. Um, so the brand names of amphetamines that people might be more familiar with are things like Adderall, Adderall XR, Dexedrine, Vyvanse. Those are your amphetamine family medicines. Uh, methamphetamine, I don't use very much disoxin, but I understand they're using that in other parts of the country more frequently in young children. And then the next group are the methylphenidates. Methylphenidate the, is Ritalin. That's the Ritalin family of medicine. And it works a little differently from the amphetamines. Methylphenidate works by blocking the reuptake of dopamine and norepinephrine. So rather than producing more dopamine and norepinephrine, Ritalin prevents the stuff that's already produced from being reabsorbed, which makes it available to your brain and the synapses of the brain over a longer period of time. So that's how Ritalin works. And it is available in even more flavors now than the amphetamines. There's immediate, extended, something called controlled release, uh, which is very helpful if anybody has that miserable kind of hyperactive, irritable tail at the end of their day, children in particular, when they come up from school, a controlled release choice might help in that regard. Hmm. Um, and then last but not least is a transdermal patch. So um, the transdermal patch is called Daytrana. It has medication in it. You put this plastic patch on your skin. And what's nice about it is once you're home from school, if you do not want to be under the influence of a medicine anymore, you just pull the patch off. Oh, Whereas once you've taken a pill, it's yours until it wears off, right? Yeah. Yes. So the transdermal patch offers a new level of flexibility. The other thing that I use the transdermal patch for is less is more. You are now bypassing what we call first-pass metabolism. You're not wasting medicine in your stomach with your stomach acids. So you can use a much smaller amount of medicine delivered immediately on the skin, which decreases side effects without losing effectiveness. So sometimes I use it in children that have developed ticks because that's a common side effect of some of these medicines very successfully. So Daytrana, keep that in mind. In the methylphenidate family, it is a big family of medicines. Howard asked for a complete list of all the medicines. <laughs> Howard, I hate to tell you, my friend, there are just too many of them, but I'm gonna do my best to list as many of them as I can. Uh, there's Aptensio, Metadate, Concerta is one of the old ones, mm -hmm. Daytrana, Ritalin, Ritalin LA, and then Quilly Chew is one that you can use with young children, it's fantastic, and then Quilivant. These are longer acting versions of Ritalin. And then there's um, Dexmethylphenidate, which is similar to Ritalin, and that's Focalin. So you guys may have heard of some of these, right? Um, one of the first things I wanna say about 
ADHD medications. And, you know, I don't want to say this in a way that makes me seem like I'm down on my pediatrician peers or my family medicine peers or people who are prescribing this medicine, these medicines, general medical doctors who are not mental health experts. Because first of all, we have a shortage of mental health experts in our country mm -hmm. and we're having to rely on some really hardworking and well-meaning doctors and nurses to do the best that they can. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when that is the case, most people will learn their favorite five and they kind of try those five out. But there are dozens of these medicines available and they are all not created equal. So for example, Concerta is really good for concentration and paying attention not so good for hyperactivity. Mm, okay. But it's an ADHD medicine, right? Mm -hmm. Vivance, on the other hand, very good in all three areas, mm -hmm. inattention, distraction, and hyperactivity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one person asked, how do you know what's the best medicine to take? I'm going to probably say the words, it depends a million times during this presentation, yes. because it really depends on what your symptoms are and not just what your symptoms are, but which ones bother you the most. Right. So if your hyperactivity and your impulsivity is the thing that bothers you the most, concern is probably not the right medicine for you. We need to look at one of the ones that hits that set of symptoms more pronouncedly. You know? So um, they're not all the same, even though they land in these big stimulant classes of medicine. So that is the stimulants. Before we move forward, any questions about that big group of common medicines for ADHD? So I did see one question. Sure. And they did ask how stimulants can affect my temper. It makes me more aggressive. So yeah, it I can. Is it can make you feel even worse. So I don't know if you wanted to briefly touch on that before. You know, if you're taking medicine and you have a medicine provider, that is absolutely something you want to talk out with them. And I would advise that for a few days in a row, because the nice thing about ADHD medicines are they work the day you take them. So you can learn a lot from just taking the medicine three days in a row. Keep a kind of a calendar. Think, you know, on a scale of one to 10, what was your irritability like in the morning, at noon, at four, at eight, at 10? Because you may figure out you know, I lose my temper and I, I kind of overreact to that. But honestly, it only happens between 4 and 8 p.m. Well, then you and your doctor could work on a plan to address that 4 to 8 p.m. window mm -hmm. in some strategic way with adjusting your medicine. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I know you all have talked about here in your show on Fridays is uh, rejection-sensitive dysphoria. Mm -hmm. So RSD often is associated with people who lose their temper easily, who overreact to information that they perceive as being a rejection. Mm -hmm. um, if, it, if Maybe it isn't a criticism, but it feels like it, or it is a constructive criticism that a parent is giving a child, but the child feels insulted and then, right. you know, reacts like they've received an insult. Right. Uh, you know, so Unfortunately, the stimulants do not work particularly well on RSD symptoms and that sensitivity to rejection and criticism, but some of the non-stimulant medications for ADHD actually do work quite well on RSD. So let's get on with those. Um, one of my favorite non-stimulant medications for the treatment of ADHD is Intunive. That's the brand name and its generic name. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm gonna black out on this. Um, guanfacine. Guanfacine uh, is a time-released medicine that helps with behavioral problems, uh, memory problems, and it improves aggression and hyperactivity and RSD symptoms. So ask about Intunive. Both adults and children can take it. There's an age limit, but your doctor will know about that. Um, the other one that is similar to Intunive and Guanfacine is Clonidine. Clonidine is, uh, reduces hyperactivity, reduces impulsivity, reduces distractibility. Uh, so 
in young boys in particular, where that aggression, impulsivity, uh, inability to sit still in their chair, they're very disruptive in class. Sometimes I will give them a little bit of clonidine at bedtime, which helps with their sleep, but it stays in their body the whole next day and helps them with these hyperactivity, impulsive, disruptive behaviors in class. And in the morning, give them a medicine that works on concentration and focus. Mm -hmm. So those two medicines kind of come together to address all of their presentation. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we talk about the art and science of medicine. I'm talking a lot about the science in terms of the nuts and bolts and bullets, but the art of medicine is the interview and figuring out what someone's story is and what their needs are. And that's a big part of ADHD treatment and medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the first things I ask my patients is, what are you going to be doing while you're under the influence of your medicine? Mm -hmm. If you're going to be in class for eight hours, that kind of informs the choice that we might make. On the other hand, if you tell me, well, I need to do some work at home and I need to get two hours done at a time, then we might decide on short acting medicines that you can take a little bit in the morning and then take a break and then a little bit more in the afternoon and then take a break. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, that's a decent strategy. It's inconvenient to take medicines on multiple times through the day. But if you've got really bad appetite suppression and you've had weight loss and your child has anorexia, mm -hmm. that's an option where they get hungry throughout the day as the small amounts of medicine wear off and you can keep uh, them receiving nutrition as opposed to the long acting medicines while they're convenient. You know, you don't have to go to the school nurse. Uh, you take it once in the morning, it gets you all through the day, but the kid doesn't eat lunch. Yeah. Or so, you know, so that, and I'll get, I'll talk more about appetite because a lot of people ask questions about anorexia and appetite suppression. Okay, so guanfacine and clonidine, and then perhaps one of the most well-known um, uh, non-stimulant medications is Stratera. Uh, that goes by the generic name of tamoxetine. Uh, it blocks the reuptake of norepinephrine and dopamine as well. So again, we're trying to get those excitatory neurotransmitters to be a little bit higher and available to the brain. The disadvantage of Stratera is you have to take it every day or it doesn't work. Mm. The advantage of the other medications are you only take them on the day that you need them. So if you're a college student and you've got all of your classes on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you'll take a long-acting medicine. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, you may take short pulses just when you're studying. Mm -hmm. On Friday and Saturday, you may take none. So, you know, it really kind of depends. And that's why a lot of my patients will leave my office with more than one type, but in small amounts, mm -hmm. so that they learn how to leverage their medication to respond to the specifics of the day that they're planning to have. And that's how they make the most of it. Right. Um, the advantage of Stratera, however, is it is pretty good for helping people who just have attention and concentration problems, but who don't have hyperactivity and impulsivity. So as you know, inattentive ADHD is a type that's very common in women. It's the reason why so many young girls got undiagnosed. If they mm -hmm. sat quietly in school, they did not serve the class, they did not serve the teacher, but they were daydreaming and nobody noticed, they did not get diagnosed. They just did poorly in school. Stratera is not a bad choice for people who have that issue. Um, I, so it could be tried first, but if it doesn't work, somebody asks, what happens if you've tried a non-stimulant medicine and it didn't work? I generally will try one like Stratera, and then if it doesn't really do enough to help that person, um, I'm gonna move on to using the stimulants. Mm -hmm. The other thing about Stratera that you have to keep in mind is you often have to push it to a fairly high dose for it to really work. And when you do that, you can end up with some problems with your liver. It's mm -hmm. irritating to the liver. And so as opposed to the other medications, Stratera sometimes involves getting blood work so that we can pay attention to your liver enzymes. So it is not in and of itself benign, 
but it is a there is a place for it uh, mm -hmm. to be considered. All right. So, oh, um, thank you. Any, any yeah. other questions? This, so this is great. Honestly. Okay. Well, I just this is what y'all had in mind, right? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Okay. So there's another group of non-stimulant medicines. Actually, there's just one in this class, and that's an antidepressant. Somebody asked, why do some doctors give antidepressants for ADHD? Most doctors do not. Um, but there is one that can be used, and that is Wellbutrin or Bupropion. It is not FDA approved for that purpose. It is considered an off-label application. So when you use Wellbutrin, you do have to inform the patient and educate the patient that you're using an antidepressant in this unusual way, but it is proven to be pretty effective as an alternative. The time when Wellbutrin often gets used is in teenagers who have abused stimulants, mm. in young children who have developed tics, uh, one of your followers asked, is there a non-stimulant medication that pilots can take? My friend, I'm sorry to say no. Uh, mm -hmm. The FAA is very, very, very strict about medicine. However, that being said, you can take Wellbutrin if you have had an evaluation by an FAA-approved doctor and you've got your diagnosis locked down solid. They do make exceptions, and Wellbutrin is one of the agents that they will make an exception for pilots. So that's something, if your pilot is still out there, uh, ask about Wellbutrin as an option. Yeah. Okay, and now there are some new ones that's kind of cool. Adhansia is one of the newest agents. It is for people that have very severe ADHD, um, because it's available in some pretty high doses. It's, mm. It is uh, the highest doses of any medicine on the market. And then there's a new one called Jorna that I have not tried yet, J-O-R-N-A, that you give at bedtime. You know, some kids and some adults have a very hard time starting their day. Right. Their brain is foggy, and if they're mm. tired and their brain is foggy, they cannot get out of their own way to get out of the house. Right. And so this will respond to that option. You take the medicine at bedtime, it gets activated by gut enzymes. Mm -hmm. And then when you wake up in the morning, you wake up with an alert, ready to roll brain. And it could be a game changer. It's brand new, I haven't tried it yet, but I just thought I'd throw it out there and mention it to folks. Because again, you know, it's always, it depends. Right. Where, where do you struggle? Let's respond to that spot. Right. So, um, and all of these medicines do have side effects that I should go over. Uh, nearly all of them cause appetite suppression of the stimulants in particular. That's a big problem with this class of agents. Um, and I'll, let me just quickly talk about what you can do about that. Less is more. The lower the dose, the less appetite suppression you're going to have. Um, interrupting dosing also can help like i mentioned earlier taking small amounts so that you can get hungry in between um you should plan your medication administration around your meal times so you're very thoughtful about these curves like when is my appetite going to go up when is my medicine going to kick in you want to kind of think about that so that you eat when you're hungry and make the most of it. I mean, that's the other thing is, make the food that you eat count. Yes. <laughs> so don't eat, you know, you wanna eat something that is nutrient dense, high calorie, high protein, etc. at those times when you can eat. Um, a lot of parents with children of ADHD come in and talk about how they try to force their kids to eat. Please don't do that. It's, it just doesn't work. It only causes the child to develop food anxieties. Do not force your kid to eat. They will eat when they're hungry. Mm -hmm. um, it is alarming if they lose weight. And so that's the thing we have to monitor is if they're losing weight, how much? And is it worth it? And can they tolerate it? Is it, you know, 
that's a cost and benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. But I suggest to parents that they buy snacks that their child likes, leave them out on the counter in plain view. Don't put them in the cupboard. Right. Make sure the kid knows that this is here and available to you at all times. Because sometimes if it's their favorite snack, they'll just go for it because it's right there on the counter, even if they're not hungry. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. You know, so, um, and then you can also adjust the medicine, the timing of the medicine, uh, the amount of medicine, or the combination of medicines. Drug holidays are exceptionally important mm -hmm. when appetite suppression is the problem. Meaning, if it's a student, please don't take it on Saturday and Sunday so that you can make the most of consuming calories on those days off. The other thing, there is a lot of literature about drug holidays and ADHD medication where you can keep your drug levels lower, the amount of medicine that you need, by periodically giving your brain a holiday. Mm -hmm. If you take the same amount is the receptors of the brain downregulate, and they just aren't that, they don't respond very well. So right. you have to go up on the dose. So the other thing that I often do with patients in order to prevent that from happening is not just drug holidays, but on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, take a high dose Vyvanse because you're in class for eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. But on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're gonna take a lower dose of something else so it kind of mixes it up and the brain can't quite get used to one thing. And that's another way to keep the amount of medicine that you take at its minimum, most effective level. Um, so other strategies in terms of to medicate or not, or how do I work with my medicines, for example, I think you really want to write down what you're going to be doing when you're under the influence of a medication? And how do, I, how do I study, for example, if you're a student? Are you able to study for 30 minutes at a time? That's, believe it or not, that's a fairly long period of time for concentration for anybody, even without ADHD. Um, I did not have ADHD in medical school and I absolutely could not sit in front of a textbook for more than 30 minutes at a time. I mean, I just had to get up, take a quick break, go get a cup of coffee, whatever, come back and read the next chapter. So, you know, think about how you work. If you're somebody who can concentrate for two hours at a time with your medicines, great, good for you. Let's choose a two hour medication. So you kind of want to think about what is my style of work? Mm -hmm. What is my style of study? If you're a teacher and you have to be on in class, you do get breaks as the class changes. So that might change the choices that you make. But if you're a nurse and you're working a 12 hour shift and you have to be on all 12 hours, except for your 15 minute break and your 30 minute lunch, mm -hmm. that changes the equation. So you and your doctor really need to have this thoughtful conversation about what kind of work do you do? What kind of studying will you be doing? When will you be doing it? How do you do it? So that, all of that informs the choices that you make about what medicine you're going to take. You also want to lock down what your symptoms are. So I like when people will create a list that I call target symptoms. These are the target symptoms that I would like to decrease. And before we start medication, I want you to artificially, it's arbitrary, of course, artificially give it a score. On a scale of one to five, how forgetful are you? Mm -hmm. On a scale of one to five, how tired are you? On a scale of one to five, you know, how easily are you distracted when you're in a room full of people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And just make a list and give them scores. And then go take a look at the scores with your doctor. Anything that's a five and a four, those are serious. Mm -hmm. Things that are one or twos might not be so bad. And so again, looking at your symptoms, you and your doctor can make a wiser choice about which one of these medicines, like I said, they're not created equal, would be the better fit for you given your target symptoms. Somebody else asked, how do I know <clears throat> if my medicine's working? I've tried it and I really don't notice anything. Well, your target symptoms will help with that. If you 
took your medicine for three or four days and you go back and you take your target symptom list and you check the sheet and you score everything again and the numbers haven't changed, you're right. The medicine probably hadn't helped. And it's time to go ask your doctor about an adjustment. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, sometimes early in the game, when you first start taking the medicine, you don't notice a difference, but everybody around you does. That's true. <laughs> so true. you may not be aware of progress that you're making in the beginning until you right. kind of notice it and get used to it. Mm -hmm. So consult your spouse consult teachers. Um, you really should be working with your teachers and your guidance counselors. And hopefully if your child is in school, they're doing Connor rating scales for you so that you know, you know, my kid does great between eight and 12, but they struggle between one and three, you know, so you can learn a lot of information from the rating scales that your teachers do that your doctor's going to want to look at to make some adjustments about is it working or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's that notion of, you know, long acting and short acting medicines, but I think I've covered that. Um, you know, some people will take a long acting medicine on long study days and that's it. Some people will take short acting medicine, say on Saturday because they've got a term paper to write and they just want to knock out four hours of, of homework. Some people with more serious symptoms might take both. A long acting medicine in the morning and then just as it starts to wear off completely, it'll, they'll overlap it. And we give them a short acting booster in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. It's a tricky thing to do because a booster in the afternoon can result in appetite suppression when you'd like for the person to start getting hungry and eat their dinner mm -hmm. and can disrupt their sleep. Right. So you have to be very careful about the timing of that booster, but it can be a total game changer in terms of students who come home and struggle with that wearing off time mm -hmm. and irritability and hyperactivity and getting their homework done, you know. The other thing I'm often, I always mention to everybody about medicine is when you're under the influence of medicine, please use the medicine. You know, do not take your medication and then hang out on Instagram and talk with your friends. You know, if you're going to take medication, yeah. make sure that you're doing those things that you need to get done. You got to get laundry folded and put away. That's great if that's what you need to do. It's right. not just about schoolwork. So I'm just telling you, but just be sure that you're making good use of the medicine when you're under the influence of the medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you've taken Vyvanse, mm -hmm. um, it should last until about six in the evening. So that means if you're a student, you're going to go to class at 8 in the morning, you're going to come home around 2.33, take a 30-minute break for a snack if you can eat one, but get your homework done before 6 o'clock rolls around because you've just wasted the tail of that medicine if you don't do that. Mm -hmm. Finally, um, because some of the side effects of these agents is to increase your blood pressure and... Uh, rare, uh, rarely some people also develop EKG changes. Mm -hmm. You probably should not do significantly rigorous physical exercise while on a stimulant. So I do not like it if somebody takes a stimulant, like they like to drink a Red Bull and get all charged up and then go for a run. That's not a healthy thing to do. Mm -mm. I do not like when students are on high dose um, stimulants and in rigorous physical education class. So we have to really think about to what extent are they going to push their heart because that's an important thing as a parent that they should know. Mm -hmm. um, I know sometimes y'all have seen me with my stethoscope around my neck and it's like, you're a psychiatrist. Why are you wearing a stethoscope? It's because I check people's blood pressure. Right. <laughs> you know? so, um, so checking blood pressure is really important. You can do that at your pharmacy. You can do that at home, but it can elevate your blood pressure. So be careful about that. Um, so now I've got a, a whole bunch of questions that your folks sent in. One person said, both of my parents have ADHD. What should I do? <laughs> and, you know, I'm from the South. So the first thing that I thought was bless your heart. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. let me say this about folks with ADHD. And I bet Tiffany and Brittany will join me in this. 
I'm assuming because you asked the question about your parents have ADHD that your parents disappoint you from time to time. Whatever disappointment that you experience in someone else that has ADHD, trust me, that person experiences infinitely more disappointments in themselves than you will ever experience in them. So be kind and compassionate and patient and understanding. Yeah. It's very hard to do if the person's ADHD is severe, mm -hmm. but it's easier to fall into judgments and et cetera. Uh, there is a book that I'm quite fond of, by the way, um, When an Adult You Love Has ADHD, When an Adult You Love Has ADHD by Russell Barkley, an excellent book with tips for people who are living with a spouse that has ADHD or a parent that has ADHD. So um, a worthwhile um, resource. Thank you for sharing that book too, because we both get a lot of questions about, you know, it's a, it's a partner of someone who has ADHD. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it, it's important for them to know what to do and how to handle certain situations. If sure. their partner's on sensory overload or they're sure. burnout or, you know, so. Thank and you know, there's a lot of things that partners can do that actually are incredibly helpful. So for example, um, if the partner is doing laundry and needs to get stuff folded and put away, and that's not something that you want to do, you don't have ADHD, they do, you could do something else productive in the room beside them. Yes. And sometimes if two people work in the room together, they can kind of keep each other going without right. even talking about it. So there are some very lovely kind of buddy system. I mean, like we, we teach children about a buddy system when they're going swimming, don't do it by yourself, right? With ADHD, you can have a buddy too. Right. So there are some things that you can do that might be very helpful if you have a spouse or a parent or an adult in your life with ADHD uh, that might not be all that hard. You can make a big contribution to their life. Um, Someone asked about, I have a really strong fear of medication. I just don't want to, I'm, I'm so afraid of what they might do. You know, I understand that. I mean, all medicines have side effects. Aspirin has side effects. Um, Pepto-Bismol has side effects. Penicillin, has, every single thing has side effects. But that doesn't mean that they're dangerous. They might be uncomfortable but that doesn't mean they're dangerous. The nice thing about the stimulant medications in terms of a class is they're in and out in the same day you take them. So if you do have problems with the medicine, just don't take it the next day. Write down what happened, talk to your doctor about it. So your risk of having a bad outcome or, you know, I don't want to suffer for three, four weeks because of this medicine. You will not. Right. The worst the worst that can happen is you have a bad day, you know, <laughs> but um, it's not going to be um, much more than that. So they are in and out quickly so that you can experiment. And that's the other thing that I highly recommend to people is ask your doctor to give you as you're learning about your ADHD, sometimes they'll give you smaller prescription amounts of more than one medicine so that you can try them out. Or if you can afford to go see your physician more often, um, you can go and see them every other week. And so that you can try one for two weeks and try another one for two weeks. But you're gonna have to do a little bit of trial and error. Right. That is the art part of medicine. Yeah. Um, would it be, it'd be amazing if we guess right the first, the first time, time. But, but that rarely happens. And so just, you know, but just keep at it, keep trying new things. And eventually you're gonna find the amount that works for you in the lowest effective dose. That's the mm -hmm. point. We want you to have the highest benefit with the lowest dose and the lowest side effects. Right. Okay. The single most common side effect to every single one of these medicines, except for the non-stimulants, is appetite suppression, appetite suppression, appetite suppression. I kind of already went over what you can do about that. Um, but I have to say, even with the appetite suppression, early on when Ritalin was first on the market, I don't know if y'all know this, but Ritalin was discovered and invented at Brown University, at Bradley Hospital, where I was in school. And it wasn't used for ADHD. It was used in the Developmental Disabilities Unit with young 
children that were obese and had Down syndrome or other developmental disabilities. Mm -hmm. And what happened was they gave, they were given these young children or these children Ritalin to try to help them lose weight because they had all kind of health problems. Mm -hmm. And what they discovered was these developmentally delayed children with Down syndrome started to learn better. Mm -hmm. Totally unpredictable, you know, like didn't see that coming. And that's actually how they learned about Ritalin and ADHD. And that was mm -hmm. a long time ago. Um, but at that time, because of the appetite suppression, people sometimes had short stature temporarily. At the time, we didn't know it was going to be temporary. Somebody wasn't growing very quickly. Suddenly, ADHD medicines got a bad rap. That if you take the ADHD medicine, you're going to be stunted and you're not going to grow. Mm -hmm. That is not true. Mm -hmm. We now have had decades and decades and decades of research. Some people have been taking medicine their entire adult life from childhood. I think I heard you say that too. That, yeah. And nothing has happened. I mean, we have literally never identified in every single major multi-center, thousands of test subjects, we have not identified yet a single major health problem in any of these adults that have taken medicines for their lifetime. So that's really good to know in terms of safety if you have fear of medication or fear of side effects. Now, it does have some side effects, of course, like I mentioned, uh, rebound bad moods, uh, rebound impulsivity, rebound hyper, uh, hyperactivity, uh, psychomotor tics. Some people get them or they get them in their trunk Oh, yeah. um, that's fairly rare, or they get glossal, glottal tics. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you have to pay attention to that. And um, unfortunately, uh, if you have tics to one medicine, you often get tics to another. So we have to discontinue the medicines altogether. That's when Wellbutrin sometimes is an alternative. There are medications that we can use to treat the tic if the person's ADHD is so horrible that they absolutely cannot function without it. This child is not going to get out of school without it. We're going to have to give it to them and give them a medicine to mask the tick until they get out of school. Right. And then minor growth delays do occur, but adults catch up. Mm -hmm. So there are minor growth delays in children that, you sh that it's true, but people do catch up. Um, somebody asked about depression. Uh, there have been studies about depression and ADHD and ADHD medicines, but there's been no direct correlation that taking medicine causes depression. While on the other hand, people with ADHD have a lot of comorbid depression because, not just because of how their brain works, but because of all the messages they receive. You're lazy. You're not going to amount to anything. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it makes me crazy when I hear these things, but that, that is depressing. And that erodes someone's self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we see some depression with people with ADHD, but it's generally not cause and effect in terms of their brain or the medicines they take. One of your other viewers uh, or followers asked about, what about teeth grinding, skin picking, um, mouth biting, lip biting, mouth ticks? Um, in medicine, these are known as body-focused repetitive behaviors, or BFRPs. Um, <laughs> BFRPs are not caused by ADHD medicines or by ADHD. However, a lot of people with BFRPs also have ADHD, so they are comorbid. <laughs> if you happen to be someone who has both BFRPs, like nail biting, hair pulling, uh, skin picking and ADHD. The treatment for the ADHD can sometimes make the BFRPs worse. And so I highly recommend if that's you, please do see an expert who's used to these nuances, can do some of the more fancier medication adjustments that most generalists aren't familiar with. Uh, because we do still recommend if the person's ADHD is impairing, treat that first and then follow up the treatment for the BFRPs. There is treatment for those as well. Once the ADHD is treated, if the BFRPs are worse, you can use SSRIs. 
uh, they decrease anxieties. If you decrease anxiety, sometimes that will cause a decrease in skin picking and air bullying. Um, clomipramine, which is an older antidepressant, is very effective at decreasing hair pulling. Uh, Prozac has been known for decreasing skin picking. So you'll have to work with your doctor if you're one of these individuals that has a comorbid combination to be sure that you get on a combination of medicines that hits all of those many different target symptoms. Someone else asked about breastfeeding. You know, I haven't been asked that question. I guess most of my patients are either too young uh, to, and haven't had children yet. Um, good news. Um, most of the stimulants can be taken during breastfeeding. And uh, it is dose specific, however. The higher the dose you take, the more likely that some breast milk, that bre some of the medicine will make it into the breast milk, but thankfully not harmful to the infant. Uh, and that is a multi-center, multiple studies. You know, I rarely say it's okay when it comes to breastfeeding to take any medicine. I was kind of surprised when I looked that up for this individual. I think she's on Vyvanse uh, and um, I believe it's safe to do, but there is some big recommendation to go for the lowest dose possible. Mm -hmm. So you kind of, even if you're struggling a little bit, like you know, you'd rather take more because more is more effective. But for right now, while I'm breastfeeding, I'll take a lower dose. And then you and your your doctor and you and the baby's doctor can talk about the cost benefits of medicines and breastfeeding. Um, I used to be a pediatrician, which you mentioned at the beginning of the hour, Brittany. Um, right now, they're recommending breastfeeding for about six months. Um, Back when I was a pediatrician, we recommended breastfeeding for only six weeks. Uh, but the truth is, if you can breastfeed for six weeks, even without medicine, your baby is going to receive most of the immunoglobulins mm -hmm. of immunity, which is the primary point of breastfeeding. And then nutrition is obviously the another very important part. But um, don't feel bad if you have ADHD and you just aren't able to breastfeed because you need a higher dose of medicine. See if you can get through those first couple of months, give your baby those absolutely necessary immunities, and then you can supplement with formula or something else, but you're gonna work with your pediatrician on that. But the good news is breastfeeding, it seems like it's safe. Mm -hmm. Someone else asked me about marijuana and ADHD. A lot of work has been done in this area, believe it or not. Um, unfortunately, not a lot of these studies are excellent double placebo, you know, double blind placebo <laughs> studies because the federal government doesn't allow us to study marijuana. So there's a lot of restrictions on marijuana studies, but there have been a handful. The first thing I want to say about marijuana and people with ADHD is caution, 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 caution. People with ADHD are eight times higher risk of developing a substance abuse disorder and a marijuana use disorder than anybody else. Eight times greater. Why? Because of impulsivity, mm -hmm. right? So be very careful if you're, if you're an alcohol consumer or somebody who's using marijuana. However, marijuana does have a role. Uh, one study in college students, for example, uh, showed that marijuana improved their ADHD symptoms a little, uh, lessened the side effect of appetite suppression a lot, meaning they got the munchies. And however, they were not able to stop taking medicine. So even though they recognized some benefit, it wasn't enough to stop their medicine. That was a study that was done in 2021 on 1,700 college students. A study that was done in 2019 showed no benefits at all to cannabis, none, very disappointing. Another one showed that CBD use, uh, which is a special kind of cannabis, not the psychedelic THC types, uh, but that CBD decreased the amount of ADHD medicine that people needed that they could use less. So again, it's one of those things of it depends. Mm -hmm. If you're somebody who has attention and concentration as your number one and two symptoms, marijuana probably is not the best choice for you because it's going to make you more forgetful and foggy. On the other hand, if you're hyperactive and you're impulsive, marijuana might be a reasonable choice for you because it calms down that sort of 
irritable nervous energy part so that you can concentrate and attend better. So if you live in a state where it's not illegal or your doctor is, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to be silly and say cool like me, you can talk, <laughs> you can talk to them about the use of marijuana and how you use it and um, make sure that you're careful about it. But right now, unfortunately, we got more work to do in that regard. No clear studies that it's beneficial. Even though I know anecdotally, I've heard from many of my patients that they feel better and that their ADHD is improved when they use it. So, you know, but it's not a formal thing that I can assert here today. Right. Um, so I'm, one other person asked, I'm new to the diagnosis of ADHD. Um, how do I know if my dose is right? That's an excellent question. And it comes back to those target symptoms we talked about earlier, right? So, you know, and it's not just ADHD that I do this for. Um, it's why I don't rush into medicines with people. It's why psychiatrists have a whole hour with people as opposed to 10 minutes. Um, I really like to do that in the office with someone. I like to write down that list and have them score that list so that I have a copy and they have a copy and we leave with an understanding about here's our goal. We want these top five things to improve. And when you come back next week, we're going to look at them again. But I do that for depression. I do that for anxiety. For whatever condition I may be treating, once medicine is involved, I like for people to zero in on target symptoms. Because a lot of times when someone remains even a little bit uncomfortable, they think their medicine's not working. And it's very helpful for them to see a little bit of progress happening as we go so they don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. The other thing I want to say about medicines and the way that psychiatrists practice and the way that other people may practice is a lot of times people will come and see me and sadly they will say I've tried four agents. I tried 10 milligrams of Ritalin. I tried 10 milligrams of Adderall. I tried 10 milligrams. I'm like, whatever happened to 30 and 40 and 50 milligrams? So what happened was somebody tried the lowest dose of the medicine and when it didn't work, instead of adjusting that medicine until it does work, mm -hmm. the, the doctor and the patient together joined around changing the medicine and they changed and they changed and they changed and that left the patient with this narrative that no medicines ever worked for me. And it may not be the case. It may just be that you've not had a full comprehensive trial of any one of the medicines slowly and carefully as we adjust your dose to higher levels so we can find out which medicine works for you. So a lot of times I have to twist people's arm or talk them into it nicely. Let's try this one again because this one has low side effects. I'd hate to throw it out. You know, I hate to get rid of this one too quickly. And oftentimes when they try it the second time around with more education mm -hmm. and more communication from me, because I let my patients text me, you know, we're all the time. I mean, so that they, they have a question. I don't want them to have to wait a month to ask the question. I'd rather them be reassured right in the moment. And a lot of times these medicines they've tried before work the second time around. Yeah. Yeah. You are amazing, Mike. You, you are. You are. Well, thanks. Um, somebody else asked non-stimulant versus stimulant medicine. Again, it is that, you know, it depends um, on what your symptoms are and what your target symptoms are. I have to say, though, if your target symptoms land in that hyperactive, aggressive, irritability, impulsive group, if that is your primary symptom group, you have ADHD combined type, but that area is worse, you're probably looking at stimulants because the non-stimulants aren't particularly effective in that area unless it's quanfacine and clonidine, right? Um, combo, some people even take Stratera in the morning every single day so that they can have improved concentration and attention and a gently elevated level of norepinephrine and dopamine in their bloodstream available to their brain seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But on days when they have to sit down and do their taxes or on days when they've got a huge amount of work to do 
or, or on the day that they're going to the mall to do their Christmas shopping, they will also take a stimulant. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, learning about your medicines and how you can put them together is a huge part of learning to use medicines at the lowest numbers in the most effective way. Um, so some people take a combination of stimulants and non-stimulants. I can't say that one's better than the other kind of thing. Um, so those are the questions you ladies sent me ahead of time. Um, I thought I would also throw out my two favorite books. Um, I'm really crazy about Rachel Freeman's book, ADHD Workbook for Adults. So anybody who's new to ADHD and wants to learn more and wants to learn strategies about what I can do differently, in addition to watching people like you on Instagram, uh, read Rachel Freeman's book, ADHD Workbook for Adults. Uh, there's an Instagram account. I don't know if y'all know Ned Hallowell. Have you watched him? No. Oh. You know, 